Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, coach, and the creator of the Aligned Time Journal. Every week, we're here asking the big questions. What does it take to create something of your own? How do we overcome the procrastination, failure, and rejection that comes prepackaged with great work? And while we're at it, what is your great work? How would you know? How can you find out? We'll explore all of this and more. So get in here and let's unleash your great work. Welcome everybody to Unleashing Your Great Work. This week, I am super excited to welcome Linda Ugolo to the podcast. She is a speaking empowerment coach and a great friend of mine. And I would love to welcome you to the podcast, Linda. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm delighted. So we start every episode with the question of, tell me a little bit about your great work. I consider my great work this process I have developed of helping people to get over their fear of speaking and expressing themselves freely. Where did that come from? Did you ever struggle to express yourself freely? Just my whole life. (laughs) Okay. No wonder it's your great work. (laughs) And you know, it's funny, Amanda, because I didn't recognize it until looking back, until I got to the other side of it. I went, oh my gosh, this has been a lifelong journey. Yeah. What's an example of a time when you felt concerned about being able to speak freely? Well, let's go back to my early childhood. Let's do it. Shall let's we? Start at the <laughs> so I was the goody goody in the family, and my sisters were jealous of me. I saw them get punished. So I decided I was never going to do anything that would get me punished. So I became the goody goody. And that unfortunately became a real sticky point in my relationship with my sisters, because my mom would hold me up on a pedestal and say, why can't you girls be more like Linda, Mm. which stirred up their jealousy and ire. And they would kick me, tell me to shut up, call me stupid. And Mm. that became a theme in our relationship. So I got to a place where I didn't feel comfortable opening my mouth in the house. Wow. Wow. I felt like the only place I could really be myself was in my room Hmm. by myself. So I didn't realize that I had become this introverted soul because every time I would dance around and sing, I would hear, shut up, stupid. Oh, so that was my early childhood. But there are other things. There are positive things in my childhood as well. And I became a dancer. And I looking back, I think I love to dance partially because I wasn't speaking. You could express yourself. I could express myself. Exactly. Mm. I would come home from school, throw down my bags, and I would move out my emotions and my angst for like five Mm. minutes. And I call it my therapy. And then I would pick up my books and I do my homework. Wow. But movement was my outlet. Mm-hmm. So then I would say the next time that I recognized that I had an issue was in grad school when I was invited to give a talk to the department heads of the expressive therapy program that I was in about this movement process that I adored called authentic movement. Mm-hmm. And it's improvisational. You close your eyes and you're simply following what the impulses are in your body. It's kind of like active imagination through movement. It's a Jungian 
process mm. and movement. And it's very beautiful, very powerful. I didn't have Sounds like any, what you were doing in your childhood, just like I was doing in my childhood. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's when I found it, I thought this is what I like to do. The other piece that authentic movement added to it is that there's a witness. Mm. So you're being seen and being held with positive regard, with unconditional friendliness. So you're practicing non-judgment. Wow. which was huge for me. And it allowed me to feel, even though I loved dancing, I always felt self-conscious wondering, mm. what do people think of me? Mm. Is this good enough? But in doing the authentic movement, I could drop that away after some time, but I didn't have a way of articulating the meaning for me. And I figured, well, I'll just improvise this talk because <laughs> I can improvise and dance. I'll improvise the talk because I really had no way of deconstructing what I wanted to say. Mm. And as you can imagine, it did not go very well. When the department heads came in and I felt that intimidation of all these important people in the audience mm. waiting for me to say something important and be good, I froze and my mouth, it felt like there was a vacuum that suctioned out all the saliva in my mouth. And I Ugh. literally did not have a sound. Mm. I opened and closed my mouth like a fish out of water. And I couldn't even ask for water. It was before the days that we had bottled water around. And finally, my dear advisor leaned forward and whispered, Linda, would you like a glass of water? <laughs> what I could do was nod. It was mortifying. Let's just say it was mortifying. Okay. And I decided I would never speak again. Mm -hmm. And I didn't for about a decade when wow. something came up that I just felt so strongly about. I wanted to get the word out. <laughs> You'll laugh when you hear it. It was about raw milk. And oh. I'd fallen in love with raw milk. I'd gotten introduced to it by my sister who had adopted a couple of children mm -hmm. and was nursing them by making a, her own homemade formula using raw milk and cod liver oil and some other things. Mm -hmm. And I got intrigued. And once I read about it, I thought, gosh, I really want this. And I want this for my family. And, and it was not legal in Massachusetts. Really? Yep. So... I called around to dairies and no one would give me any. They said it's against the law. So I wow. took my big girl bootstraps up and I called the <laughs> Department of Health. It was so scary. And they actually yelled at me for asking why, <laughs> is it, why isn't it legal and why can't it be made legal? And so then I reached out to the Organic Farming Association of New England, which I'd recently become a part of as a organic gardener. Later on, I became a farmer, actually. Mm -hmm. And I said, I really wanted the organization to take this on. And they said, oh, I totally agree with you. Yeah, the milk we get in the grocery store is not real milk. It's processed. And yes, it'd be great to have organic dairies licensed. Come speak to the audience at the summer conference. There'll be about 1,200 people there. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the last time you had talked was in front of the four deans. Yeah. <laughs> How'd it go? Yeah. Well, I mean, I did not want to do it. I asked her if she would do it. And she said, no, no, you got to do it. You'll be fine. Just write down a page and read it. And I was shaking like a leaf, mm. you know, at the podium. But people applauded. And long story short, it was a long process. We got a committee together. Some dude, a graduate from Harvard who wanted to put something nice on his resume Mm -hmm. came out to help us. And he wasn't afraid to go into City Hall and campaign for this. And now we have 23 dairies licensed to sell raw milk in the state. What? Wow. The power of your voice. Yeah. 
And that was like 90 seconds. And now, even though, I mean, what I was convinced of was the power. What I was not convinced of was the confidence. Uh It did not lead to confidence for me, but it made me willing to push through the fear. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. Every time I needed to speak and as I became an online entrepreneur and I needed to get in front of people, I thought, okay, this comes with the territory. I'll just push through it Hmm. because I didn't know there was another way. So that comes to actually the real turning point for me in finding my great work Mm -hmm. was that I was on the first live streaming app called Periscope. Is that a Twitter thing? Periscope, yes, was bought by Twitter. Okay. It was bought by Twitter. It was bought by Twitter. So for a while it was part of Twitter. Mm -hmm. When it first came out, it was the first live. Well, there was something else called Meerkat. No one has ever heard of Meerkat. Some people people have heard of Periscope. And Mm -hmm. after Periscope was around for nine months, then Facebook developed Mm -hmm. the same technology. And then everyone kind of moved to Facebook because it was a more popular platform. But I was one of the, not the first, but early adopters. And they said, you got to get on every day. You want to build a following, get on every day. And people were building great followings there. And I'll tell you, it was pretty terrifying because it didn't have any kind of algorithm. It was like you could look at a map and see a flashing light in Boston, Massachusetts, and anyone in the world could say, oh, who's that? Mm -hmm. So you would press broadcast and you could see the names of people coming on, scrolling Mm -hmm. on the page from Turkey, from India, from France, from California, from Canada. And it was like, oh my God. Wow. And I could feel like my whole, like my brain rising up out of my body. I was completely ungrounded. I didn't Mm. feel, I couldn't feel my body. And I'd like force myself to say something coherent and then get off. Wow. Here's the irony. What was I talking about? How to reduce the stress <laughs> in your life. Oh, really? I was like, so stressed. Oh, oh no. So, so stressed. But I was determined and I, I did it for that first week. And I was still like feeling like I was going to have a heart attack. And I reached out to my video mentor who had turned me on to the platform. And I said, Holly, what's going on? Does everyone feel like this? Am I the only one? And she said, oh, everybody is like that. Don't worry. It takes about 75 days to get over it. And I thought 75 days. Wow. That's like many months. It's two and a half months, months. two and a half months of daily broadcasting daily, seven days a week, seven days a week. Wow. Seven days a week. And so I thought, okay, that's a lot, but here I go. You have a very strong will. It seems I'll say I was undeterred undeterred. Uh And, you know, partially I could be because I did have tools to manage it. Mm. I, I'm a movement specialist. So I would do things with my body. I would do jumping jacks and kicks and punches and power poses. And Mm. I did meditation and affirmations. And I looked up online everything I could find. Mm -hmm. It's about your audience. It's not about you, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Use the fear as fuel and you know all these things. And I thought, okay, okay, I'll try that. I'll try that. And so every day I was managing getting on and I got to day 75. How'd you feel? My heart was racing. Ah, oh, so it wasn't 75 days and you weren't calming down over time and getting used to it and becoming comfortable. I was getting comfortable with the platform. I knew how mm-hmm. to block the trolls as I was talking. Yeah, <laughs> that's <a> strategy. <laughs> I knew how to form a little presentation with bullet points. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think I knew how to make a call to action. I, don't, I think that was beyond me at the time, but mm-hmm. I could talk about things. 
but I wasn't feeling any more comfortable. I was still spending like 45 minutes ahead of time getting myself in the right headspace. Wow. Unleashing Your Great Work is sponsored by the Aligned Time Journal. As you think about great work, you might think, okay, but how? How do I figure out what my great work is? How do I make progress on it? How do I overcome procrastination, burnout, and perfectionism? What I like to call the three horsemen of the apocalypse. My answer to that question is use the Aligned Time Journal. It's a whole person time management system that will keep you moving forward on your great work without ever feeling overwhelmed. Click the link in the show notes to check it out. Give it a try and get busy unleashing your great work out into the world. On the one hand, it's what everybody says they want to be able to do, right? Like I want to do it even though I don't want to, right? So many people tell the story of when I don't want to, I don't do it. And then I beat myself up and like, if only I could just do it, even though it was uncomfortable. So on the one hand, it's like, well, good for you. You did it. On the other hand, it's like, what were you missing that would make it less miserable? And how long? Do you stay doing something that makes you miserable? Like, what was it that kept you? Because you continued to do it after that 75 days, right? I did, but something changed. Okay. Tell us about that. So it was exactly as you say, it's kind of like, okay, I'm showing up, I'm doing this, but do I want to feel this every day? Mm -hmm. And my answer was no. I want to get rid of this. Yeah. I don't want to feel this. Mm-hmm. because I want it to be fun. I want it to be easy. I want to be able to say, okay, I'm on in 10 minutes or I'm on in 15 minutes. That should be enough for me to prepare. Mm-hmm. And then I can get back to my work after I'm finished. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what will it take for me to get rid of this fear? Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I never thought to do this, Amanda, but I have a this degree in expressive therapies and movement studies and a load of tools from personal development I sat down and I made a list of all the tools I had. And I said, okay, I'm just going to go through all this stuff and Mm -hmm. see what works. And then I thought, well, before I try to get rid of it, let's explore what it even is, Mm. which is actually one of the tools I had called focusing, Mm -hmm. where you kind of feel into your body and you say, okay, if this could talk, what would it say? So I did that. I closed my eyes and I said, what is this fear trying to tell me? And what came back was, I'm going to be attacked. Wow. Well, immediately I had that memory of being attacked by my sisters. Oh. And it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I never put two and two together. Of course, I don't feel comfortable being in the center of attention when it made it dangerous for mm-hmm. me in the, in the past. Wow. And it wasn't so much of a aha, but like a duh. <laughs> yeah. And why aren't people talking about it? I mean, it makes so much sense that we're not comfortable speaking because we have traumas, big and many, that have led us to believe that it isn't safe. And so I began to think, well, what else in my past Mm. might have led me to believe that's not okay to speak up? Where have I been criticized or put down or ignored or bullied or pressured to perform before I felt ready and embarrassed or... Mm ignored or any of these things that would make me feel like it's not safe. Mm -hmm. And then luckily I had my long list of tools to use to clear all that stuff up, like emotional freedom technique or tapping Mm -hmm. people know EFT Mm -hmm. forgiveness and creative visualization and my movement stuff and journaling. And I applied it, everything, all Mm -hmm. the things that I love to do. I applied it 
I kind of went through like my own intensive. And in the course of a week, I didn't have that. One week? One week. (gasps) Wow. One week. And let me tell you, I was just deliriously happy because it just made it so much easier. Yeah. It was like, oh, now I can just get on camera. And, you know, a week later, I heard myself say to the people on Periscope, gosh, I had this such a hectic day. And I'm so glad to be here with you right now that I can just relax. Wow. Fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. What a week that must have been. It's like a crash course in self-discovery. Yeah, it was. And, you know, it didn't even occur to me at the time, like, oh, now this is what I'm going to do with people. This is my great work. Mm -hmm. In fact, I actually resisted it for Mm -hmm. a long time because you know how a lot of coaches just want to help everybody. Mm -hmm. I wanted to help everybody. I wanted to help all kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. And the idea of narrowing it down to just, quote with quotation marks, yeah. helping people get over their fear of speaking. Well, for me, in my mind, it was fear of getting on camera at the moment. Mm. I just felt too narrow. It's mm-hmm. like only that. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with it for probably a year. And then I got to a place where I thought, you know, I really feel like running a course. Yeah. And what would I do? I think it would be about how to get comfortable on camera. Mm -hmm. And once I decided to do that and I began to write about it and, you know, some blog posts and articles for online magazines and started to get on some podcasts, all of a sudden I went, I love this. I think I could focus on this. I think there's enough here for me to like, feel like it goes deep and wide. Yeah. And it doesn't have to end here. It probably does have other ramifications, but I don't mind hanging out in this space at all because Mm -hmm. people need it. Mm -hmm. I realized how fast it was that people felt uncomfortable speaking, even quote unquote speakers. Mm-hmm. will often be very good at what they do. They're well-paid, but they're managing their fear. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but a portion of them are still. So there is this whole range of people who needed help from those who were terrified and ran the other way whenever the idea of presenting or having to speak comes up mm-hmm. to people, as we were talking earlier, who say, I don't want to be held back. I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And to those who actually like it, but are still dealing with some anxiety, maybe they're not sleeping well the night before mm-hmm. they get a tummy ache or somehow are exhibiting some anxiety. Hmm. That's so interesting. I'm sure the story is not over and I want to hear the rest of it, but I, I just want to note how, what a great example this is of great work, right? We talk about great work having four characteristics. One, it comes out of your unique perspective, right? Your life experiences, the lessons you've learned, you have taken what you deeply struggled with and overcame, and now you're bringing it to the world. It's something that is done in the service to others. Clearly that's the case. Then there's the fact that it sounds like there was a lot of figuring out. And I'm guessing there's a lot more figuring out that has been part of the getting it out into the world. But the fourth one is it translates all of your life experiences into sort of a legacy, a contribution to the world. And if I'm not mistaken, you've been working pretty hard lately on creating that legacy. Does that sound true? Absolutely. Yes. So once I started to work with people And saw because, you know, my big question was, okay, it worked for me, but would it work for Mm -hmm. other people? Right. Because these are my problems. 
these were my tools that I used, but Mm -hmm. how would it translate? But when I began to share what I did for myself and some people raised their hands and say, hey, maybe could you help me? And then it went beyond people who were wanting to get comfortable on camera. I had some people who were wanting to speak in front of a crowd. And I said, well, I haven't really spoken in front of a crowd, (laughs) but I'm happy to try it out on you. And actually it translated for them as well. And that's when I thought, oh, well, maybe I should start becoming a speaker myself. I figured if I was going to help people who were trying to speak in person, that I should gain some experience myself, number one, to spread the message and to share it, but number two, to understand what people are dealing with so that I can broaden my perspective so I can help people from that point of view and understand what it entails, what goes into it that people might be struggling with, because certainly I'll have to go through the same thing Mm -hmm. on some level myself. And I love that you said the figuring out part. It definitely, the figuring out part has been huge. And it's what went into creating my book and writing my book, Delight in the Limelight. Yes. You finished your book. When did it come out? Came out September of 2021. Love it. And I worked on that honey bunny for four years. (laughs) (laughs) Four years. Wow. Four years. Because once I realized that I have a process that very few people are really talking about, I want people to know that there are other possibilities to get over your fear rather than just going to Toastmasters Mm -hmm. and just repeating it for five, seven, 10 years to Mm -hmm. finally get to a place of confidence that you could actually get to a place of confidence pretty rapidly. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you can jump over the skill and craft building of speaking. You still have to do that, but you can do it in a way that feels more joyful and fun and relaxed. Right. Because you're not having a panic attack the whole time. Because you're not having a panic attack. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And you also can learn better when you're not having a panic attack because you're not having to handle that emotional level all the time. Yeah. You can really just concentrate on the task at hand. Mm, So calming. So what kind of things did you have to figure out to get your book out? I needed to figure out how to organize the process in Mm. a system that was simple and repeatable. Mm -hmm. And it took me a, a long time because when I started out, I just had all these processes and I didn't know why they worked or how to order them. Mm-hmm. or what went first or how they fit together. And it literally took probably three or four years to come to the system that I have now, which I also don't think is perfect, mm-hmm. but it's good enough and it works. Yeah. Well, it's a great book, just Thank so you, you know. I really Thank enjoyed you. it. Yes. It's you. That you should off you go, all of you listeners to Amazon, order yourself a copy of Delight in the Limelight from Linda Ugalo. Really a good book. I actually felt like lots of really great tips in there. So when you think about your history, I mean, there's so much about your own journey, but what other struggles did you have to bring your specific process to the world? Well, I think part of it was that there were experiences that lay outside my own experience. Mm -hmm. For instance, I started to get some clients that actually had a really nice, comfy home life, Mm -hmm. were really supported by their parents were well-liked in school, did well in school, all these things. And yet they had this anxiety speaking. Hmm. So I felt really challenged to investigate, okay, well, where could this possibly come from? Mm -hmm. So 
all of a sudden in the process of investigation, we would discover, well, actually, this whole idea of doing well in school has its liabilities. Ah, say more about that. In school, we are graded on making the fewest mistakes mm-hmm. and experimenting very little. Uh-huh. Just do what you were asked to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get the grade, because you get the grade by following directions, figuring out what the teacher wants, mm-hmm. and providing that. Yeah. So the idea of having to come up with, let's say, your own thoughts and perspectives and doing it in your own way, it kind of goes outside the box of being able to be graded and evaluated on certain standards. Mm -hmm. And so you narrow yourself. If you've done well in school, there's this tendency, doesn't apply to everybody, Mm -hmm. but there can be this tendency, number one, to want to stay inside your zone of competency. Mm -hmm. And not take risks because you have derived your sense of self-worth by always being the best. Yeah, that resonates with me. I feel like you just described my whole life until I had my moment when I was like, forget it. I'm going to chart my own path. But it was this massive turning point. It is Mm -hmm. a massive turning point to say like all this conditioning, like all of these stories I've just accepted, I'm going to question all of them. And that sounds like the moment that you're helping people have this particular kind of client. Does that sound right? Yes. Yes. So that was a big struggle for me is to find ways to include people's experiences that lay outside my own awareness already. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I really enjoy about the work I do is being investigative. I am Mm -hmm. very curious and it's sometimes not obvious. You know, some people come and they say, oh, I know it was Sister Catherine at Catholic school who wrapped my knuckles when I got five times eight incorrect and I was terrified or maybe some other kinds of abuse that were obvious. But oftentimes people don't realize it can be that time that you wanted to sit down at the lunch table with that group of girls and they said, oh, sorry, this seat is taken. And then you go off to sit by yourself and you notice nobody ever sat there. Yeah. And you think, oh, what's wrong with me? me? I must not be likable. People must not want to listen to me. It's like we come up with conclusions to make meaning out of the things that happen to us. Mm -hmm. And we maybe never thought about that moment again, but the lesson is still there. Right. Well, would you describe yourself as sort of a somatic practitioner? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. It feels like part of what you're doing in your work with people is is that you have that moment in the lunchroom and your mind doesn't necessarily register it as all that important, but somehow this clench in your belly or this tensing in your neck or something, it carries that message forward. Is that true? Can you explain that better? I'm not a scientist, but this is how I understand it, is that our memories live inside our bodies. And just as you said, we may not consciously remember it, but it comes out with our racing heart when we get in front of somebody. Uh, or the dry mouth or the sweaty hands, like our body remembers. And in my process, we address it mentally, mm -hmm. emotionally, and physically. Yeah. So we have to come up with different ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. We have to resolve the emotional levels and we have to repattern our physical responses. Ah, okay. That makes sense to me. So like if you have always gotten tense, you have to learn how to relax. Uh-huh. That makes sense. If you've always constricted your voice, you need to find another way of using your voice. Mm-hmm. 
ultimately you want to feel like you are in your body because if you think about, well, what does speaking confidence even mean and where are we headed? Where do we want to be? Mm-hmm. We want to feel like we are present, yeah. which means in our body with awareness And that anything that keeps us from that presence is resolved or held at bay or kept to the side. Mm -hmm. So we don't want things from the past kind of knocking around inside us. Right. We don't want worries about what other people are thinking bothering us. We want to just be here now Mm -hmm. and be in the thinking to the speaking process, which happens as physical beings. Yeah. So interesting. I like that you only mentioned this kind of in passing, but it sounds like you have a master's degree in expressive therapy. Yeah. I asked them to put movement studies on the diploma, but yes, it was through an expressive therapies department at Leslie University. Yeah. One of the things I love about great work is that you're like, what is my great work? And we always land on the thing we're doing right now. But I love when you hear these stories, these sort of histories of great work, like it's very clear that the great work from The raw milk and the expressive therapies, all of the bits and pieces, they're culminating in these moments where you're standing on the stage at the raw milk conference or whatever it was. That was a culmination of your great work. And so was the moment when you were on Periscope a week after you'd resolved a lot of your panic saying that you're relieved or happier, whatever you said you were about being there. And now when your book comes out, like that's a culmination of all of these experiences. It's such a nice feeling or I admire the way that, you know, you're really on a path and you're letting it evolve and you're just sort of showing up these moments being the greatest you can be in that time. Yeah. And what I love about it is that I feel like this is just a point in time. It is going to evolve. And I feel like the book gives me a framework within which to expand out. Mm -hmm. Yet I know that there are going to be places that I don't know, maybe in five years, I'll be in this new arena. Mm -hmm. And my guess is that I have a couple of ideas of where that may go. But one of which I think is going to be around the movement. Uh That I always felt, as I said, that I didn't have a way of articulating the importance and the import of our physicality as human beings. And that we live within a really narrow confines of how we move literally move Mm -hmm. through our days. And I feel like movement has the capacity to support us in our personal growth in ways that are only scratch the surface. And when I look at, let's say, dance therapy, which I started studying when I was 19, actually, or Mm -hmm. 18, somewhere around there, it's so confined. So few people have even heard of it because they've kept themselves hidden in hospitals. Interesting. And in clinical situations. And I feel like it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought, I'll write this book. I'm going to build a platform. And then like a Trojan horse, I want to bring <laughs> forward something around this movement. And now I do incorporate movement in my work with people. But I know that it's going to come more out to the forefront because it's always been a dream of mine. hmm And so I must circle back and carry it forward. Yeah, you must because it's always been a dream of yours. And you must because you seem like you're really committed to great work as a way of life. Mm. Always on your evolving edge, trying for the next thing, figuring things out, sharing what you've learned. You're a great adventurer on the river of great work, it seems. 
So Linda, it sounds like working with you is a very powerful experience. Do you want to tell us if there's a listener who's like, hmm, that sounds very interesting. How can they find you? How can they learn more about you? I think the best way to continue the conversation is to come to my website where I have a speaker empowerment kit, okay. which are two guided visualizations and power thoughts. Visualization is one of the key ways, I think, for preparing to perform at your best. I mean, just think about Olympic athletes and high-performing musicians. I mean, everyone who wants to perform at their best utilizes mental rehearsal. So we can do it too. So I have a couple of those, one for speaking in person and one for speaking on camera Hmm. to help you visualize and prepave how it is you want to feel when you speak. How is it that you want to express yourself to not, a lot of people will just prepare. What do I want to say? Why am I going to say this? And what's going to come next? And they get so circled up in the content that they forget to practice how they want to feel. The other ways to find out about my work is to poke around my website and see what programs I currently have available. I work privately and I also offer group programs Mm -hmm. And if you want to check me out on social media, I'd say either go to Facebook or TikTok. TikTok? TikTok is a happy (laughs) place for me. I'm just so enjoying the platform. I feel people show up there with such heart and vulnerability. Interesting. I always think of TikToks for the kids. I would have thought that myself until a colleague of mine mentioned that she was posting the same videos to TikTok and Instagram. And the ones on TikTok were getting multitudes more viewership and comments. Wow. And I thought, hmm, I think I'm going to check that out. Mm -hmm. So I finally got myself on and my first video got 250,000 views. What? Yes. Wow. That sounds amazing. It was amazing. And now subsequently, they weren't that high. I just really nailed it, I think content wise on that one. But Uh then I don't know, a month or two later, I got one that in a day got over a million views, a million views. And now it's up to 3.5 million views. Wow. I know with 3000 comments. Wow. That's why I think it's amazing. And now it's not just what happens there. But that very first week, I had a CEO of a bank contact me for private work. Wow. And he found you on TikTok. Yep. Wow. Yes, she did. And I've gotten, I think over in six months, I had six clients come to me, plus people who bought my programs, plus people who have bought my books. And my mailing list doubled. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm convinced. TikTok sounds unexpectedly awesome. It can be. And I think that it's a great place for coaches and thought leaders. Hmm. Awesome. Well, people head on over to TikTok, create an account if you don't have one already and follow Linda, because I know that everything she has to say is very valuable, as you could tell from this podcast. And I want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Amanda, it was great to be with you. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on the Unleashing Your Great Work podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And hey, don't forget to check out the Align Time Journal. You need support to get started. Stay at it and unleash your great work out into the world. See you next time.